Before we start, we want to let you know we've launched a Patreon page where supporters can receive perks like bonus episodes and exclusive content. Because Pop Fiction Women is our passion project, a place where we give women space to show up and offer in-depth analysis in the ways we're used to hearing about male creators and their characters. We delve into creativity and psychology with a dash of astrology, and we have so much fun doing it. Just two friends breaking down books, movies, and shows like Normal People, Fleabag, and I May Destroy You. Every single aspect of this podcast we do ourselves, from the preparation to the recording, from the editing to the social media promotion. So we're adding a Patreon platform because we want to keep making the show you love and hopefully expand it even further. So please consider becoming one of our most complicated fans and contributing on Patreon. To learn more, go to patreon.com forward slash popfictionwomen. Today we are talking about Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Glennon is a number one New York Times best-selling author. This is her third book after Love Warrior, Carry On Warrior, and then third is Untamed. And in a lot of ways, this book is unraveling some of the things that she said in her first two books, because those books were really about saving herself from addiction and then saving her marriage from infidelity. And now this book is kind of like, I'm not saving shit. I am just going to be wild. Yes, I'm going to. Yeah. Forget it all, yeah. everything I've been taught, and untame myself and, and be and free. Live in her own way with her own process, her own desires, and just not taking into account what everyone else is going to think about it. Which, when you think about where she was when this book came out, that she had had such huge following based on her very traditional marriage, her family, and her Christian values, mm -hmm. that was an incredibly brave thing to do. Yes, I find that yes. so interesting. I should yes. say that I think the subtitle of today's podcast should be Kate, yes. Kate on the Couch. And, and oh, we've good. made jokes Perfect. in prior podcasts about Kate on the Couch when I get, you know, self-reflective or, or start asking you for advice. I feel yeah. as if today we're just going to take it to a new level because I love this it. book is, I mean, it's a memoir. And as we've talked about, it's sort of written... I, I view it as almost like a collection of quotes, even though it's not. I mean, there's just so many mm, yeah. pages where you flag them or dog ear it or whatever you do, and you could reread a part of it over and over. And it just made me think of so many different things about myself. And I feel like if that's doing it to me, I can't possibly be the only one that, that, that could feel this way or think this way. This book has been number one yeah. on the New York Times bestseller list for multiple weeks. So that's a lot of people buying, reading, and loving this book and needing this book. So yeah, you're definitely not alone. Yeah, and Reese picked it. So Reese, another Reese that's book right. pick. We, we seem to gravitate towards those, but we I think yes, we had picked we it before Reese picked it, really. But That's true. We did. Mm -hmm. We did. So Untamed has kind of an uh, unusual structure. It's a lot of essays loosely linked together, all coming under this theme of becoming untamed. 
except she has a section on the four keys. And that's where we're going to start today. These four keys are how to unlock yourself, right? How to become untamed, according to Glennon. And those four keys are feel, know, imagine, and let it burn. So yeah, I love let it burn, but yeah, so it's part instructional manual. So we'll start with feel. Yes, right? the first one. feeling. She says, I did not know before that woman told me that all feelings were for feeling. I did not know that I was supposed to feel everything. Mm-hmm. I thought I was supposed to feel happy. And she says, so let me just add, yeah. I thought that happy was for feeling and that pain was for fixing and numbing Mm -hmm. and deflecting and hiding and ignoring Mm -hmm. so she thought you only feel happy and anything bad or pain you ignore you numb you deflect you fix yeah right yes yeah I mean I think that's probably very very common very I I sometimes joke that I am not untamed, but I was raised feral (laughs) and that I was raised without some ideas of societal norms. And, and we've talked about it on other podcasts, uh, on other episodes, how that has created some issues for me. But in context of this book, it seems to be kind of an asset because I really know what she's talking about deeply. I, I get it. And I eventually wanted that structure and wanted some guidelines and rules and so I really became very rigid and I was like okay here I am I have achieved all the things that society says I should want to achieve and I've done a great job and then all your reward is more work or more responsibility I was like this is a bum deal Mm -hmm. and I kind of unraveled it but reading this and that particularly that line or those lines that passage was a real light bulb for me. And I realized a truth, I think, one step further than what Glennon says here. Feeling all the feelings actually is the thing that makes you happy. So you're, she's like only wants to feel happy, but she doesn't realize that feeling only those hap- happy things doesn't bring you the same thing as feeling all of the feelings and then you have the freedom to be happy. So I'll, I'll give my normal people example. When we recorded the first recap, I got a text from you or, or you mentioned something to the effect of like, I hope you don't hate the rest of the series. And I was like, wait a second, I didn't hate that at all. <laughs> And then I listened to the show and I got your show notes and I saw words like Corinne was frustrated by the music and Corinne was disappointed by the dilution of Mary's Marianne's character. But I also said their chemistry was electrifying and I adored Connell and his development. The point is that most people hear me say, and this is not just you, yes. this is just a very recent example, but people hear me say quote unquote negative things or they'll know I'm critical of something. They don't realize I only spend the time to explore those negative feelings or explore those criticisms of things I really, truly like, love, yeah. things that make me very happy. So they're mixed together. And I'm for sorry. You. It all. It, 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 I feel all feelings. the feelings. Kate. Yeah. And, and having having a moment of disappointment or frustration or criticism doesn't mean I don't love the thing that I'm talking about. I loved normal people it makes and I love it so much frankly because it makes me feel 
all of the things. It makes me feel sad, frustrated, angry, hopeful, lustful. All of that makes me feel alive. And feeling all the feelings makes you happy and content in life. It doesn't make you negative unless that's all you're focused on. If that's all you're focused on, which was not the case here, But otherwise, feeling bad feelings and good ones and talking about them both doesn't mean you're negative. It means you are alive. Yeah. And listen, we should say, or I should say for you, that you are very Glennon already. Meaning, I'm not saying you don't need this book because I think we're going to find as we talk about it that there's a lot that you took away from it. and, And but... I would put you on the evolved spectrum closer to Glennon than than most people, honestly. So I do not feel all the feelings. <laughs> I am much like Glennon described herself before, like grew up with the just suck it up. I mean, that is that mm-hmm. is literally like the mantra in my house growing up from yeah. mostly from my mother. You know, you don't if you expressed some kind of like, oh, this I don't like this or I can't do this or maybe I'm it was like suck it up. You'll be fine. Suck it up. You'll be fine. Not yeah. a lot of expression of emotion. Now, maybe, though, to Glennon's point, I'm sure it was okay to express happiness, right? But not right, on the sure. downside. And now you you talk about normal people, like in books or movies or literature, you know, things like that. I can I can feel all the feelings. Feel I love it, it actually. Right. You're right. For that reason, right. I love sure. when I'm watching that yeah. show and I go from watching them so happy and then watching him break her heart or them miscommunicate and then I'm crying and... I can yeah. feel them in in I guess in make believe or, or or fiction. I just can't right. necessarily do that in real life. And right. that's something I have been working on. But at times I'm like, well, I don't, how do you do that because I'm also a fixer, so a problem solver, mm. so yeah. You're supposed to, I understand, you're supposed to feel all the feelings. And then I immediately go to, okay, so how do we fix that? If it's a, if it's a negative one, all right, well, we'll just fix it. No, there's yeah. not always a, but, a, a solution. You're just, it just sucks or yeah. it's just sad. I don't know. See, we're going to, ha- I know there's going to be quite a few points in this. I, I also was raised with suck it up. And I, I truly still believe that now, but you just, it just has to be the process, right? You have to go through all of it. You can't sidestep any piece of it because you know you're going to get to suck it up. You just can't. So you are supposed to say, this sucks. You're supposed to cry. You're supposed to throw something. You're supposed to scream, whatever you need to do. And then at the end of it, you go, okay, how can I fix this? I still do that. I don't know that anyone cannot get to that point if that's where you get to in life that's who you are so I don't think you're not supposed to get there I think you're just supposed to go through the because I'm guessing you what happens is something terrible happens and you go immediately yes how do I immediately you don't say oh my god you don't like let yourself break down fall on the floor throw something at this at the wall like you don't go through all of the things that you need to go through to then arrive properly at okay how do I fix this because I don't I don't think that should be the goal it's not for me and I it's I think it's okay just you can still get to how do I fix this because that's how you move yeah that's how you carry on skip all Yeah. yeah but you can't skip all the stuff in between and that is part of the problem is that people try to skip 
all of them. Right. <laughs> you know, and she she talks about that, that she's a feeler, right? And I've heard her talk about this, mm-hmm. that she's so highly empathetic that she feels sometimes too much, you know? And yeah. I'm just on the other end yeah. of the spectrum over here, as you've pointed out to me, it, <laughs> denying the feeling for a long time yeah. until I can't anymore. By the way, that is extremely Pisces. She's a Pisces. Yeah. And that is a very extremely Pisces thing is feeling yeah. everything. And they do. And we'll, we will talk about it later. Her idea that she's midnight blue. They do. They are. Pisces are prone to depression. They do generally have kind of a, a, a dark outlook on life. And they do feel everything so intensely. Both of my children are Pisces, so someone please help me. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's rough. But yeah. So I understand that life isn't a BBC production of normal people. (laughs) Yes. I am just simply, my point is, I am just simply someone who truly believes in this process. I love how she ends this part with, on page 52, saying, pain is not tragic. Pain is magic. Mm. Suffering is tragic. Suffering is what happens when we avoid pain and consequently miss our becoming. This is what I can and must avoid. Missing my own evolution because I'm too afraid to surrender to the process. Mm -hmm. Having such little faith in myself that I numb or hide or consume my way out of my fiery feelings again and again. So my goal is to stop abandoning myself and stay to trust that I'm strong enough to handle the pain that is necessary to the process of becoming. Because what scares the hell out of me a lot more than pain is living my entire life and missing my becoming. What scares me more than feeling it all is missing missing it it all. Yeah. Yes, yes. And I love that pain is not tragic. Pain is magic. That's amazing. I believe so fully in that. I really do. Even though... We are kind yes. of all taught that that pain is bad, right? So it's not, don't you think? Generally, I mean, that's I what know. we're I trying de- to I... unlearn by what she's saying and what you're saying. But most people, are like, why on earth know. would I want to feel the pain? I'm not sure I got that memo. And maybe this is my mom's kind of a hippie. Well, both my parents, but and she, you know, did natural childbirth and. Some of the first stories you hear are are births, your own birth story, right? So I don't know. I was definitely never taught pain is something to fear or avoid. I, I think you have to go through it. You have to scream a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then you move on. Yeah. And But I, I don't know. I never got that memo that, that pain is something to avoid. Yeah. It just, and I just feel like just I is. see it what she's talking about um, with so many people on a daily basis, this deflecting of it or avoiding it or numbing it. Sure, and sure. By making themselves so busy or or through other outlets like drinking sure. or, yeah. or I, mm-hmm. I think today, honestly, it's, it's busying oneself. That that's where I yeah. see most people trying to avoid dealing with pain or whatever issues they might have yeah you just occupy yourself and a lot of people it's drinking it could be exercise yeah I mean mine yeah I've definitely had them I mean I went through I don't know that I realized I was trying to avoid pain I was just not 
I was so unsure and I was so like, because I was so sure that the life I had built in my early 20s, going to law school, being a lawyer, I was so sure that this was everything I fucking wanted. And I got there and it wasn't. And I did not know how to reconcile those two. I didn't know how to, I didn't understand how to reconcile them. And it was confusing to me. And I did not want to veer from that path. So what I did was I did, I drank to numb that and I engaged in risky behavior and all sorts of things, but all to numb the fact that I could not come to terms with this life that I had so purposefully built, Mm -hmm. so purposely designed was not at all what I wanted and that was that was when I did that well that's a big thing to come to that realization yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. I just don't think I ever would have associated it with pain because I thought this is exactly what I wanted and I was like and why does it not feel right but isn't that pain but I guess absolutely absolutely yeah absolutely and for absolutely and for so long I tried not to feel that and experience that because I didn't know what to do with it right yeah so I avoided it yeah yeah but I needed to feel it needed to go through it she leaves puts yeah. a sticker what is it a post-it whatever on her on her mirror mm-hmm. that says feel it all and she said it's my daily yeah. reminder to let myself burn to ashes and rise new and I have a feeling mm-hmm. I'm gonna make reference to little fires everywhere more than once today because Mm -hmm. so much of this reminded me of the themes we talked about there and I think even the beginning of this uh four keys section she's got a little poem and it talks about a cage and I'm like oh geez the bird Mm -hmm. in the cage from from little fires so I'm trying to feel it all do believe we should feel it all but sometimes it's hard to know when you're not and two two areas that really spoke to both of us were the first one control that is Mm. control is a way that we attempt to not feel attempt to get around the feelings yeah yeah and this one it it does make me feel better a little bit because this book is so inspirational and there and you see the work that she's put in and you're like oh I want to try and you know do some of these things and then she gets to this section and you realize this shit is hard. And even for someone like her who's written mm-hmm. books on this, you know, she has to keep reminding herself of these things. And one of the things she talked about was her body image and how mm-hmm. she says, and yet I still have the poison in me. I still have all the biases that were instilled in me for decades. This is page 216. I still yeah. struggle to love my body every single day. 50% of all my daily thoughts are about my body. I still step on the scale to check my self-worth. Subconsciously, I would likely still judge a thinner, younger woman to be worth more than a heavy, older woman. I know that often my knee-jerk reaction is not my wild, it's my taming. So that, to me, I was like, holy cow, right? Because yeah, that is... yeah. We should say that she had been yes. bulimic since she was 10 yeah, years old. I know. 10 years old that is very intense yeah and went by senior year I think she said she was in like a mental health hospital because wherever Mm -hmm. she grew up they didn't really have eating disorder clinics for this so I mean it was that serious and this was in addition to her addictions of drinking really she she says mostly alcohol but then eventually other Mm -hmm. drugs but so Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So this is 30-something years later. Right. And and she's saying, like you said, I still have the poison in me. Right. And for someone, again, like I said, who's who's done the work, man. And this is (laughs) who's Mm -hmm. been through this and is telling us, you know, to feel it all and let it burn down and look at all these lessons I've learned. And she will admit that 50% of all her daily thoughts are about her body. Now, that is so interesting to me because I, I... thought about it after I thought how much of my thoughts in the day are about my body or about mm-hmm. food I would I, I it could be more than 50 percent I'm t- oh my I mean God. it really it really could be and oh I know my gosh. and we've been talking about this offline you and I about Kate how do you have time for I that? know <laughs> I know it's because it, they're fleeting thoughts they're fleeting thoughts every time sure, you're sure. hungry or every time you go to eat like, mm-hmm. or mm, if I ate something big for lunch, okay, well, then I should have a smaller dinner or, mm. yeah. And and you and I have talked about this with me personally offline about how I wasn't always like this. And it yeah. did, again, yeah. come out with little fires when we were talking about Elena and how she weighs herself mm-hmm. every day. And I, yes, I said that I right. did. And you're like, you yeah. do, because you're a person who yeah. never steps on a scale. And I don't even own one. Right. And I'm, I'm didn't, like I said, I didn't used to be like this and it really messes with my day. If I get on the scale, I admitted this to you. So now I'm admitting it to everyone. Mm -hmm. And I mean, Mm -hmm. it could be one pound difference. I mean, that's all you're really talking about. I mean, how much could happen in a day (laughs) realistically? So (laughs) at most you're talking about two pounds and then I'm just, it, it, it puts me in a bad mood for the whole day. And right. But is it only two pounds up or two pounds down? Oh, they is would a bo- good thing. Yes, or, they would both. Or either way, they would throw yes, you. Yes, they off. would throw me off. And mm. and the point mm. here is that this section is about control, and that's that's yeah. what all of this is about, right? I'm trying to control that aspect of my life, and what I need to think about is why, first of all, yeah. and what yeah. what. Is it that's so out of control maybe with the rest of my thoughts or emotions that I find it so necessary to control this part? And you know, I right. was like a mad food prepper. I'm not necessarily mm-hmm. doing that in quarantine. Um, right, sure. And if I, and I do a lot of these like dry January or I try these cleanses or whatever. And when I do those things, when I'm, when religiously, like let's say it's a three week thing, I feel so good inside Mm. because Mm. I am following something like to a T and when I prep my food it makes me feel so good because then I'm like I know I have my food ready and I don't have to think about what I'm going to eat like it's all ready and the the organization of it and the order of it makes me Mm -hmm. just so comforts you happy right you cannot understand this I know at all I can understand this (laughs) Actually, I can understand it so deeply. It's just not... So this is so interesting because I've just flashed back. And it's funny because we happened to record that episode talking about Fleabag and the monologues. And it was the hair Mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you you were interested and engaged in the conversation, but I could tell it wasn't connecting for you. And then I was like, well, what's your thing? And then you were talking about how it was January. and, And I was like, well, maybe your thing's around food. And you were like, yeah. I don't know. I just like to be healthy. Start of the new year. No big deal. And it didn't come off as false. But now here it is five months later. 
And we're getting a little deeper with it. That's so interesting. And you know what she Kate. said on a podcast? She said, because her point, uh, the, which we'll get to too here, is that the opposite of love is control. Like you can't control things you love. But but she says, mm. that's how I know I don't love my body, she said on this podcast, mm. because I'm trying to mm. control it all the time. Control what I eat, control the exercise, mm. control my weight. And I'm like, oh my God, that is 100% me. So... And this notion of loving your body, I could have told you before I even, she even said that, that if when they always say that people are like, you have to love your body. I'm like, who the fuck loves their body? What does that even mean? <laughs> right. Like, cause I really don't, I don't, I don't, I don't even know how do people or like Lizzo, I freaking love Lizzo. Right. It, right. Yeah. And all she talks yeah. about is very positive body image. I believe her when she tells yes. me she loves yeah. her body and I'm just like really like how like I don't understand and yeah. not just because right. she's you know a bigger woman I just literally and no. I'm not it's no. just right I just don't right. get it like what what does that even mean and yeah I don't know but I so I didn't I am trying to control it which means I must not love it but I could have told you I already didn't love it but I also would have told mm. you or anybody on the street that I have very positive self-esteem and yes. body image. So, uh, yes. But do I not? I don't know. <laughs> I think you do. I think it's something else. I think it is it's like the, my hair is never about my hair. Yeah. Yours is about something it's else. A it's a control something thing. That you, it's the control. Yeah. yeah but, but it's something. It, controlling your body is something you can do. And whatever it, there is in your life that you need to control that you cannot control, the more out of control that aspect of your life is the more you will seek to control your body because because it is something completely within your own domain. It's the same idea with my hair. Whatever else is going on outside of myself, I can't deal with it. I can't control it. I can't fix it. I can't do but whatever. But you can fix what your hair. can I do? Mm -hmm. I can cut my hair. Right. Right. I can. So sometimes it's also a transference, right, of whatever other issue. But it is ultimately about control. But it's because of something outside of you that you can't get a handle on. Therefore, you turn to yourself and say, this is in my, completely within my control, completely within my domain, and I will control this within an inch of its life. Right. So the more, the more I control it, the more I need to stop and think about what, what are the other aspects that must be getting more out of control to make me want yeah. to control this more, which you, you and I talked about. And, you know, looking at when it happened, when did it start? Because I wasn't mm -hmm. always like this. And, yeah, and as you pointed yeah. out, it's not as if my weight has actually dramatically changed no, in, no. according to you, all the 20 years you've known me. So, yes. yes. So, which is, makes this even more interesting. No, no, certainly not anything that is obvious. So yeah, no, but that's the thing you have to start tracking and that's the that's the feeling everything. The feeling everything is what noting not noting the the number on the scale Kate, but just say today this bothered me and why? Why did I pretend like my food or my weight or whatever was really bothering me today? What else is going on? Did I get a message from my kid's school or like what comes with that same day, right, right? Right. The day that you happen to be really focused on your weight or food or exercise or whatever it is, what else is going yeah. on? And those are the things to start keeping track of. Or do you feel, did you just feel terrible about something in your life that day? And then you chose to focus on the food right, instead. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I, and and seeing those patterns. Yeah, I was yeah. just gonna say I, I just think 
already as a first step. The fact that I'm even putting the two together, oh, making the connection yeah. is huge. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm, I'm of, already yeah. pleased with that, that I've... Absolutely. Which came, Go back and yeah. listen to the Fleabag monologues episode yeah. and you're just like no no correlation no idea what you're talking <laughs> about i have I no idea like cut out foods <laughs> yeah and it's january and that's why i just start in january and that makes sense um, yeah so yeah and you were so confident about it and i was like mine is external and internal and i have to figure out what's going on right. and whatever so uh yeah i mean this is huge right. kate huge. yeah and that even oh, yeah. even once you make this connection it's still going to be hard. Like, that's what I liked also about oh, this section. Yeah. Like, for her, she's saying, listen, I still have some poison. I'm not, like, cured, so mm-hmm. to speak. And, you know, mm-hmm. I have to teach myself this lesson over and over and over again. Yeah. And productivity is another way that we try to not feel. You talked about it, just the the sickness of busyness, oh, how everyone's God. doing that, right? Yeah, I might yeah. I might have been speaking from experience on that one, too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, she she talks about it um, on page like 265 when she's talking about how angry she gets when Abby, her wife, Abby Wambach, have we not even said yet that she's married to Abby Wambach now? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> anyway, yeah. everybody knows that listening, but yes, <laughs> um, but it, I like this part too, because everything, a lot of what you see about her and Abby is so beautiful and we'll get to it and it's so positive, but you know, they're in a marriage. I mean, there's, there's not all is good and they are trying to work through things too. And one of them is that Abby likes to relax and she likes to take mm-hmm. naps. And when I got to this part, I mean, I saw a lot of things about myself, but this one, I was like, oh mm. my God, this is me. She yeah. said that Abby's taking a nap and I love this line. She goes, it's like she's relaxing at me. That's exactly <laughs> how I feel when people in this house yeah. nap yeah. or relax. Yeah. And she says, yeah. what does that make her do? She starts tidying loudly and aggressively <laughs> in the vicinity <laughs> of the couch. And she starts like huffing and puffing. And finally, Abby's mm-hmm. like, um, is everything okay? And she's like, mm, nothing, nothing. It's fine. Right. And she goes, and this dance will play out and I'm getting angrier and Abby's relaxing more. And then she's getting mad at me because I'm getting mad and the whole cycle continues. Mm-hmm. And she said, finally, she stopped. And by the way, so that is exactly me. I will be doing something and how dare, I'm always doing something. Yeah. So how dare yes. someone relax in my presence and napping. Anyone yeah. who's ever met me knows my feelings on napping. I hate it. I call it. Me too. Yeah, I call it a misuse of one's time. (laughs) Again, though, that's okay. But so she finally stopped and said, wait, I'm the one over here angry, right? And mad. Mm -hmm. She, Mm -hmm. Abby, or whoever the other person is in your scenario, is over there napping and relaxing wait like what, what what's the who's the, the, got the problem here not her like like you know her point was i'm the one with the problem i'm the one angry i had to look at myself right like what does it say about me because mm-hmm. abby's having a good old time over there um yeah. and she yeah. said that it, she looked at what her root beliefs are and she's just been programmed that resting is lazy and laziness is disrespect and worthiness and goodness are earned with hustle. And I do think, as you just mentioned, that I may be a productivity addict. And yeah. I I Googled it. And it's, it's a real if you're thing. A productiv- <laughs> I know. But if you're a productivity addict, am I just, I'm like, I, 
so, I'm like a crackhead. So this is what, what I want to get into with you because okay, I've good, never I have really so met say. anyone <laughs> uh, truly, truly more productive yeah. than me and who cares about being productive. But yes. somehow I have a feeling yeah. that you're going to explain why yeah. it's not that it's not a bad thing. I mean, first of all, everyone, yeah. when I say this is like, oh, like that's such a bad thing. I mean, you get a lot done. That's amazing. I mean, you do all this stuff. Right. But you know my point. Like, it's not good yes, of if, course if I you're do. doing it and then getting angry at other people for for not being that way. And Yeah. So I have so much I know. to say. So first of all, my husband is a napping savant. <gasps> he is so fucking good at it. He falls asleep in an instant. So and yeah. then he... And he wakes up in a short period of time, refreshed, Mm -hmm. ready to take on whatever he's doing next. He is Mm -hmm. truly a napping spot. Yeah, yeah, I got one of those. This used to make me insane. You know when it started making me really crazy was when we had little teeny tiny babies. And everyone told you, sleep when the baby sleeps. I never. never, I was like, well, when will I do anything (laughs) if I sleep when the baby sleeps? That made me crazy. But Ian was so good at it. He got up early with the baby and and constantly napped when the baby was napping kind of thing. But this is carried on way beyond this. Mm -hmm. So there are people, you're right, who have a special skill. Yes. But it used to make me crazy. And... It does not make me crazy anymore. Tell me how. That is, well, so that is, I mean, that's that's like hours and hours and hours. Okay. That's an offline but, Pinot Noir chat. Yes, that is, it is. But here's the thing. That is one piece of it. There are a few things going on, I think. One of them is the projection onto the other person. That is just, I don't know, I'm going to use all the wrong words. That's bad. That's wrong. You have to stop yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. But so, but Glennon did it too, that. so it made me feel better. <laughs> absolutely, no, absolutely. Yeah. But then there's another piece of it is like your piece, which is: Are you avoiding feeling with busyness? And that's just about you. The other is about the projection of you and and all of these beliefs and all that. And that's something you need to look at. And I did look at. Man, when we've talked about this. I definitely believed in a very traditional way of working. I believed in, you know very capitalistic ideas and you work hard and you get far and napping just didn't fit into any of that stuff as I've slowly started to unravel all of that stuff I guess this is the short answer as I slowly started to unravel all of that stuff and I work in a more non-traditional way now but yet I work harder and smarter and better than I ever have I've let go of a lot of that my initial memos on work and those were some of my strongest ones man those were really hard to retrain I think that's when you stop projecting on other people but then the the productivity piece for yourself are you being busy just to avoid your own feelings see I when I controlled when I was more controlling I was doing it to avoid other things productivity has never been one of my crutches in that way the way control was the way drinking was the way you know romance was for me in a lot of ways ways to not feel or to feel other things so that I wouldn't feel the things I had to feel productivity has never been that for me I don't know if it is for you or not but I will give you an example of my two kids in quarantine my son works hard and rests hard he is the Abby. He is like my husband. He works hard and rests hard. My daughter is like a, a big dog that doesn't 
get you know how some breeds of dogs are high energy and need to be walked like 40 miles a day Mm -hmm. otherwise they will eat your house right (laughs) that's me and my daughter we it we should not spend a lot of time resting we are the epitome of idle hands or the devil's workshop i just should not i got i get in my head I start to doubt everything in life. I pick apart things that are perfectly fine. I am better, healthier, happier when I am insanely productive. Is it a way to avoid my feelings? No, I don't use it that way. I still feel all of the things and I need a 40-mile walk every day. Right, right, that, right. My brain needs that kind yes. of stimulation. And I know it. For me, sleep was the big light bulb. When I lay down and I cannot sleep because my mind goes insane. I know I haven't done enough work. I, I haven't exercised my mind, my imagination, whatever it is that I need to be doing that I needed to be more productive and I wasn't today. That's when I know if I go lay down and go immediately to sleep, my mind is ready to be turned off. Then I've done the work I need to do for the day. But my mind needs to be stimulated. Right. So I believe that. I Glennon says this a lot in the book. All of this is so incredibly personal and it's so incredibly ever-changing. I could use it as a crutch in five years or maybe I did 20 years ago. Whatever it is, it could evolve into something. But I know because I check in enough that I know I'm using it in the right way, in the way that keeps me happier, saner, healthier. And by the way, happier, saner, healthy in my whole house. Yes. Right? So, so, the, so, yeah, you have to figure that out is what you're saying, what it is for you. And I don't yeah. know the answer. I feel I'm going to think about it more. We're going to work on this too offline. Um, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what I think for you. Yeah. I think that the control piece, like me, the control piece is a negative way of trying to not feel your feelings and I do just think you're a big breed dog yeah I was just gonna say uh, thank you because I I've without having thought about it as much I didn't want to conclude that but I believe that I'm more like you on that one that the productivity is not the crutch for me that it's it's almost like a rush the endorphins and that I need that it's like exercise for me I mean yeah they're very similar in that way I just need them both to 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 get the rush and to feel better I, I do think I'm wired this way basically and I don't think it's to avoid feeling the feelings but you know where I think That's, it's a negative yeah. for me is yeah. when I can't produce enough meaning when a day is not productive enough for me it mm-hmm. really messes with my mood it's sort of like when I tell you when I don't exercise it messes with my mood oh. it can ruin my whole day if I wanted oh. to get x y and z done and I only got x and y done I I'm I'm in a foul mood then and I think yeah. that's where this desire to be productive can 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 be detrimental because yes. I can't then right. okay. adapt or pivot or or cut myself any amount of slack. Yeah, not yeah. not good at that. Okay, there's your work piece. Yeah. Of it. Now we get to the knowing, right? Yes. And this is yes. where this is where I want to know how we can be still and know when we just talked about mm. how we're dogs yeah. that are running forty miles. <laughs> day outside you're you're gonna explain this to me too how to reconcile the productivity addict with sitting and being still with one's thoughts I literally write it on my list my to-do list Mm. whether it's meditation or prayer or whatever it is for you the sitting and the being quiet 
So <laughs> Glennon actually talks about sitting in her closet, which is this. really, ins- yeah, it's insane to me because that's exactly what I did. So let me tell you, two of the hardest periods in my life, we happened to be living in Los Angeles at the time. And in LA, they have what they consider, I guess, modern, almost New York style apartment buildings, although it's hard to call them New York style because it's LA and because they're four or five stories high. That's the tallest they allow buildings. But anyway, it's apartment living in a city that is historically mostly houses, right? Either beachy craftsman cottages of Santa Monica or big estates of Beverly Hills, cliffside mansions of Malibu. These are what they consider apartment style living. And for some reason, I'm sure there actually is a reason. I don't know it, but for some reason, all of these, I mean, different neighborhoods, they all have master bedrooms that have walk-in closets, but you have to walk through the bathroom to get to the walk-in closet. I don't know why. I've never understood it. But to me, it was like almost like a secret room. You didn't even know there was a closet on the other side of this bathroom. It was like this secret room. And I made some sort of bizarre altar in there with like this little yeah with like this little tchotchke from target that said this is my happy place like in crayon color type thing (laughs) i also had a statue of lakshmi for abundance i i don't know why a book of a naira wahid poems so bizarre a lucky elephant pendant that i had and a jade heart i don't know what any of these things had to do with each other with my life I have no fucking idea but I all I had them all in there I guess they were just things for me and I had uh, I would light a candle too which is extremely stupid but I'm alive so I can admit that now I would light a candle in my full walk-in closet literally clothes hanging all around me that could have caught fire any second oh my god this is awesome so I would I would light a candle and I would go in there. I would close the door. Also, very little oxygen. Not a good idea. None of this was a good idea, but maybe it was being oxygen deprived that helped me kind of get really still and really clear. And I never turned on the light. It was only the light of the the little candle. And I had this little chant. I I can't believe I'm going to share this, but I used to close my eyes and say, I am sorry. I am grateful. I am ready. I made this up. I was going to say, did you make this up? It is past, present, future. I'm sorry for the mistakes mm-hmm. of my past. I am grateful, grateful for what I have. Even when I was focusing on so much that I had lost or didn't have yet, I would try to think about what I was grateful for in that moment because there's always something. Mm-hmm. There's always yeah. actually many things. And then I am ready. And that was me saying I'm ready for whatever the future brought. And I would really position it that way I am ready because otherwise I'd be like oh I can't wait to be a New York Times bestselling author or I can't wait to be I'm ready for that but I had to cut it off at just I'm ready for whatever right right and you did this and every day every day sometimes twice a day I'm like I had some for how twice three times how long you sit in the in the shrine as long as long as I could so this is what happened I would light the candle I would say those those words over and over until I kind of got quiet and then when you get quiet the first thing that shows up is not like this knowing it's not this deepest part of you the first thing that shows up when you get quiet in my experience is fear mm. it's what are you doing get up go do this why haven't you done this you're you know you haven't done this yeah. and all of these this negative stuff and it comes through not for me it doesn't come through in a really mean voice it comes through and they're like 
oh, just forget it. You're never going to do this. It's never going to be, or, you know, it comes through almost sounding rational, but you have to get through that point and then go, okay, okay, I got it. Got the memo, got it. And then you just, you don't keep following that thought. Mm -hmm. You don't think, oh my God, well, if I could do it in a year then, and if I write 100 words a day, and then, you know, if you keep going with a thought, then it, it feeds on itself. If you just cut it off and go, okay, I'm never going to be that. Accepted, move on, right. like let's move right. on. And then you get quiet again. And for me, after that comes the real knowing. And you just, it's not even that you know anything. Sometimes you do. Sometimes it's just sort of settling into that place in yourself that you just feel so centered and solid. And that's when I would just get up and go. And sometimes it was five minutes. Sometimes it was 15 minutes. It's not a long period of time. It's not. So it feels much harder and much worse than it is, but it doesn't have to be so you literally some big deal. did what Glennon yeah. did in a closet. I yes. Mean, oh my God. Yes. I thought. I mean, when I read it, I was like, I when amazing. I read it, I I was like blown away. I was like, Oh my this God! Is what I said at the beginning <laughs> that you're already Glennon. Yeah. No, but and I thought it was so funny because she said like I can totally picture this that she sat down and at first. She said the 10-minute session felt like 10 hours and she checked Ugh. and it just felt like itchy, the rug. And then she checked mm-hmm. her phone and she planned her grocery list and she was mentally redecorating my living room. Yeah. She says, right? So mm-hmm. she said that, yeah, the only things I seemed to quote unquote know on that floor were that I was hungry and itchy and suddenly desperate to fold laundry and reorganize, which is exactly yes. what would happen to me if I sat in my closet. I'd be like, oh God, look yes. at this mess. Oh, I have to yeah. do that. But <laughs> to your point, she said mm-hmm. though that then you, she just kept doing it and kept doing yeah. it. And then, and I could see yeah, that. But, yeah. And it may always be that the first 30 seconds, minute, five minutes are I mean, those are the first things that come up, like what I haven't done, what, you know, what I need to do for the day. Oh my God, I forgot it's Thursday and I have to pick up this, whatever. Those are the things that always come. No matter how many years I do this, those are the things that always come first. You have to settle into a deeper place. So this is going to seem, though, I think to many people, it's like really woo-woo, right? And and you have said your parents were hippies, come from, Mm -hmm. like if... This is so antithetical to my upbringing sure. or or being, yeah. and even the fact that I'm calling it woo-woo shows that that's sort of my initial hesitation. Like, I'm not one of those people, which mm-hmm. is, I don't, I, I am, that is my initial reaction, honestly, but sure. having, uh, yeah. yeah, but. By the way, it was mine too. Right, but <laughs> yeah. I can, I also as part of a lot of self-reflection of late and these things we're talking about, realize that if you can't do this, like stop and be still and listen to yourself, you're not going to know. I I mean, this is the second key, right? You have to feel the things and you have to listen to yourself to know where it is you want to go before we get to the imagine and the, and the build Mm -hmm. it phase. Mm -hmm. This is a really critical step. And yeah, I, tried last week um meditation mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I did it cause I put it on the schedule I didn't even know mm-hmm. that you yeah. were going to tell me to do that but since I'm a list yeah. a list maker like you I yeah. I put it on the list but I yeah. I like did it on the Peloton app I mean is it are you gonna do you, <laughs> I I was like oh it's a good start but what what do you think 
I so I, I have two things here. I think there are two ways to approach it for anyone, not just you, for anyone who thinks this is too woo-woo. I have two questions or two ways to approach it. One, is your life working for you? If your life is working for you, maybe you don't need this. But if there's anyone who's reading this book and talking about it and thinking about it, maybe there's something really important in your life that's not working. And so maybe you might feel, I don't know, quote unquote, desperate enough to try it. I know that's how I came to it. I wouldn't have done it if I didn't feel incredibly desperate. I was fucking drowning Mm -hmm. at the points that, that I was like holding on to these practices. And I didn't know, I thought something much worse would happen to me than whatever might happen if I sat in my closet yeah. and, and lit a small candle. So I was desperate and I thought there was nothing, no other way around it. So I started doing it then. I think for somebody else who doesn't feel that desperate but wants to see, I think you commit to it like a challenge, like one of your, you yeah. know, vegan, whatever, January or whatever. <laughs> like, by the way, I find even going vegan for a month to be extremely woo-woo, by the way. Oh yeah. No, I, I know. I would never do that. Right. See, so you're right. So you're right. It is a matter it is a matter of perspective. It's probably more your own personal resistance to what you're gonna find if you I just think I uh, won't know how to know. do it. Like and it's yeah. like well, when it's, I try to do yoga and they tell you to sit and be still and I'm like I'm like, am I supposed to, all I do is think about other things, but you've already answered that, which is that happens to everyone. And it's like yes. anything else you practice or train you, that'll, that'll yes. maybe, it, maybe it'll never go away, but you, that you just accept that that's probably the first few thoughts. And then hopefully yeah. and that now that you've said it and what she's saying, I get it. The first, however many times you might still only never get off the grocery list in your mind. I mean, you do have to get off of it. That's yes, the problem but because I think it the takes thing practice, come to right? you. Yeah. But the thing comes to you. No, you can start that right away. The grocery list comes to you. You go, oh, I have to go to the grocery store today. And you know there's another thought, Kate, um, because we need milk. Oh, and I should get cream cheese. No, you have to cut it off at grocery store. I got it. You have to say, I have to go to the grocery store today. Stop thinking about that. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, back to, I find a mantra to be extremely valuable in this way Mm -hmm. and I don't I'm not even saying mantra I'm saying it in a more colloquial term certainly my I am sorry I am grateful I am ready is not a it's not going to be found in any Buddhist text it's not not a Buddhist mantra yes but it's it's your own something and it's something to come back to so you break that cycle of a thought that you don't want to go down because you don't want to spend five minutes actually thinking about your grocery list now so you cut off the grocery list and your mind gets it okay she cut off my grocery list so instead I'll think about oh when is so-and-so gonna do that thing that they said they were gonna do and so and then you go okay back to mantra yeah and then your mind gets the picture okay we're not gonna talk about that oh you know what we'll think about we'll think about that time in fourth grade and then you go okay mantra cut it off right and then and then you'll find your your brain it's amazing Kate because your brain starts surface it's like she's easy I can control her easily we'll just talk about groceries for five minutes she will go with me (laughs) all the way down this road and no it's it's everyone I know and then and then when you tell your brain sorry cut it off I'm not thinking about groceries it will try harder Kate it will go a little bit deeper it will go where is that thing that person promised me and so then there's a little bit of feeling there like oh a little bit of hurt a little bit of resentment and then you cut it off and then it will go deeper. So like, oh. this is making me think that these 
Peloton. I'm not picking on Peloton. I love Peloton, actually. Um, (laughs) This is not a plug. Um, Both of us are big fan. Yeah. So I just mean any of these apps because they are kind of filling in some of the talking for you. Do you know what I mean? They... Maybe you haven't done them, but, but see, they, they kind of are like walking you through it. And I don't know if that prevented you from... I don't know if that will get you to the knowing. I think that will calm you. Yeah. That will actually do like a true tune-up on your nervous system, yeah. truly. Yeah. Like the way sleep replenishes you. I think that will do... It's it's valuable. It is not going to get you to the knowing as far as my understanding yeah. of all and of as this. Glennon is telling us. Okay. Yeah. I got it. And then I love what she says... Uh, about this at the bottom of page 60 and and this is the image I love right it's the drowning idea and like I said I came to it when I did feel like I was drowning in my life and I was like I'm fucking up everything and I don't know what I'm just throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I'm throwing away everything ruining everything in my life and I don't think everything is truly trash but I don't know how to throw away one thing because this is the whole life I imagined for myself and I don't know how to take away one part without the other and I got to throw away every single thing at one time and just start new. And that's not a great thing. But you're drowning and you're flailing. She says, all I have to do is stop flailing, which is so counterintuitive because if you're drowning, you don't really want to stop trying to get to the top. But unfortunately, that's actually what you have to do. She says, all I have to do is stop flailing, sink below the surface Mm. and feel for the nudge and the gold. And then... I have to trust it, no matter how illogical or scary the right next thing seems. Because the more consistently, bravely, and precisely I follow the inner knowing, the more precise and beautiful my outer life becomes. That's the key. The trusting that, I'm so glad you brought this up because that's something else I would say, that even if I sat Mm -hmm. there and did this and heard the knowing, I'd be like, Mm nah, she doesn't know what she's talking about. (laughs) Like, you can't trust that, that voice. You don't, that sounds crazy. Don't, don't. Yeah. Oh, I know. But that's, that's the key. Yeah. And you do it little by little. You have to build it up. You're not going to, you're not going to sit down and one day you're knowing is going to say like this is exactly what you need to do these huge things so I started with little things you know what it's time to cut your hair yeah and then I would cut my hair and I'd be like you know what my knowing was right I've this did make me feel better what else can I do to capitalize on that feeling and this newfound awareness that I have yeah and so it builds on yeah and you have to trust yourself and not you know, so many people, and she talks about this, I think it's 59, so right there, at the, basically the page before, about how she was like asking everybody else or reading mm-hmm. books oh, yeah. or Googling. Yep. I mean, I love when she says, mm-hmm. I mean, I knew it was bad when I'm Googling, should I stay with my husband after he cheated on me? She goes, I'm asking. Even though he's a good father. Yeah, even though he's a good yeah. father. I'm asking fucking Google, she says. A super complicated question, right. by the way. And so that's why I love the quote where she says, this is the most revolutionary thing a woman can do. The next precise mm-hmm. thing one thing at a time without asking permission or offering explanation. This way of life is thrilling. I understand Mm -hmm. now that no one else in the world knows what I should do. Right? Yes. That's it. Absolutely. Only you and then you have to trust it. Yeah. Little by little. Yeah. Both of them come little by little. The little knowing and then the little trusting and then they build on each other the momentum really gathers and then are, are we imagining or what yeah. is that where we're yeah let yeah we're we're gonna go into the third key imagine so glennon says on 
page 66, each of us was born to bring forth something that has never existed, a way of being, a family, an idea, art, a community, something brand new. We cannot contort ourselves to fit into the visible order. We must unleash ourselves and watch the world reorder itself in front of our eyes. I mean, that is, is so spot on. Yeah. My friend Catherine and I used to talk about this a lot, how we were kind of imagining a new variation of life that you don't see and how most people, aside for her, from her and I, weren't really interested in doing that. They're very happy with what I called a prefab life, mm-hmm. a prefabricated life, one that comes pre-assembled. It, it has your husband and two kids yeah. and your beautiful house and you just buy this life at Home Depot or something. Yeah. But And let's be honest, and this works for most people. It really does. Yeah. It's why the Home Depot of life has mass produced them. But for some some people, and now I used to think it was just like her, like me. I now believe that everybody has their thing that they have to customize. Now, on the outside, it might look like I have that very traditional life. I married a man. We're truly partners. We have two children. But adventure has always been something that's really important to me. And that means it's important to be nimble. One of the ways that we stay nimble is to rent instead of owning a home. And we move apartments every two years. Now, because I also have bought into capitalist society, I always own something and I just generally rent it out because I can't buy the thing that I live in because I need to be able to move. (laughs) So you can do, you know, so you can do both. You can feed into it and also have that security. I mean, it is... There is something very secure about owning something. It, no one could ever take it away from me. It, there's so much value there. But I don't want to live in something I own because that's too much for me. It's it, I can't move and have something change and go on what I think of as an adventure. Even if it's just neighborhoods, new restaurants. To me, this is like really important. So that's how we manage it. Of course, I still want my kids to have stability. So we make sure they have a strong bond with their grandparents, their cousins who are the same age. Family is definitely their security. It does not have anything to do with a structure. They've also been at the same school since kindergarten, except for that year that we went to LA. And there they experienced something new, made different friends, faced real challenges. And a year, it's like 10 years to a kid. Yeah. So when we came came back to New York from LA, they experienced a new appreciation for their old things, for their school, for their friends. They also had a new understanding of their own strength, their own resilience. I mean, my son says it to me all the time. He's like, please, I got through that. I could get through anything. Right. So that that's very important to me. That may not be important to you or anyone else, but it is very important to me. And I know that. But having this life is, you know, people do look at you and think like, what are you doing? Or they think about the ways that they couldn't do it or they wouldn't do it or that it's bad for me to do. And I just can't, I can't be bothered with that. They have to live their lives. I have to live mine. Right. And this is the way I live my life. And you can have everything you want if you know what your true priorities right. are. Yeah. That's that, what I was just going to say. You have already answered the question she's telling people to ask in this section, right? Which is, what is the truest, most beautiful life for yourself that you can imagine? You've just described what yours is, the things that matter to you, and you've made those things a priority. But I think 
a lot of people haven't asked the question, right? Because yeah, for yeah. a number of different reasons. And then even for people who are starting to do maybe what she said, like have these mm-hmm. feelings, kind of get in touch with their knowing. And this part to me was so interesting because it's like, well, so now what, right? How do you move, yeah. as she says, from not this? Like a lot of people know what they don't want, right? Not this. Mm-hmm. And she yes, says easy. in this, not this is a very important stage. And I agree with her. I yes. think that is that is I crucial. Agree. But for me personally, the but she says, but knowing what we do not want is not the same as knowing what we do want. So how mm-hmm. can we get from not this to this instead? And she... You imagine. Yes, you imagine. And I get that part. Mm-hmm. You know, she says, that's the answer to the question if I was doing a, a test. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But <laughs> the part I have for you is... Well, so then yeah. so I... You know me. I need a little more specificity. Like, what does that really sure. mean? So she does say then... Mm-hmm. And this is the crucial part. She says she put pen to paper. The people who build their truest, most beautiful lives usually do. It's hard to jump from dreaming to doing. So I'm like, wait, yeah. what does she mean? Like, literally write it down? I mean, th- this was my mm-hmm. question. This is what I wrote in my notes. I'm like, so... I agree with you that it's a, so hard to jump from dreaming to doing, but I wanted yeah. a little more instructions on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I'll tell you, I agree writing it down and it kind of is however you want to do it. Writing it down is a good way. This is the problem. The reason people can't move from the dreaming to the doing is because they, the imagining also imagines the bad stuff. Right. right. It's like, oh, I can imagine this. I have this illustrious life as an author and I yeah. sit around my desk all the time. So that's far away from me. Mm-hmm. So one, okay, that's a great place to start imagining. That's where I want to get to. And then you start imagining how can I take the first step? What would be the first step? The first step might be writing on the side every morning from 4 a.m. to mm-hmm. 7 a.m., whatever it is. And so you you have to work on it and keep building on it the problem is people first of all keep it in their head and then they keep the bad stuff in their head and then they just throw it all away so it's essentially as if you have not actually imagined it because you never you're like oh that would be nice and you're like maybe I could do that on the side and and then and then maybe I don't I have an idea and maybe and then you throw it all away because you're like nah I could never do that my family needs me yes. I have to do this I, I can't say possibly. you start running through the list of so then, bad things yeah so then you've essentially erased any imagining you've done so I think you need to imagine it and you do need to make it more concrete if writing that in a book helps you a journal or whatever and then you keep going with it but you're it is a different level when you're in your head your brain is all in control when you put it down on paper somehow you are having a dialogue even when it's just yourself because you'll find different questions come up. A question that maybe wouldn't even have come up in your own mind when you're just like, nah, I can't do that. Because in your mind, you're always thinking, nah, I can't do that. Right. And then if you have this dialogue with a pen and paper, it can go a little bit farther. The next step after that is having the conversation with someone. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. It has to actually come out and of your mouth to another person. It does. Mm-hmm. It does. And, and I don't recommend starting the to the person that you need to whether if you're going to get a divorce your husband or you want to leave your job your boss boss. yeah don't pick somebody else (laughs) probably not family either start with someone who has no skin in your game right 
because to say and it out loud makes it real and people are afraid of that. So that's an important step you're saying because you can write it all down and have it in your head, but the actual articulation of your imagination or what you're seeing to someone else is a huge move. It's a huge move. It's brave. And but, also, yeah, yeah it is it is brave. And also they will have different questions mm-hmm. than if it's someone you trust and can have this kind of bond with, they might say, that's a horrible idea. Don't do that. And then maybe you'll be put in the position of having to defend your own idea. And again, you you can sort of trick yourself that this is all just a play act. We're just going to play this. But then in your mind, you've firmly planted yourself in the position of, no, I'm going to do this. And now I'm going to tell you how, and I'm going to tell you why, and I'm going to tell you even what I don't know. I'm going to tell you why I have to figure it out. So all of these steps are incredibly, incredibly useful. Another, I think, really important step is finding someone. This is crazy. I I listened to um, a woman, her name is Lacey Phillips, and she's all about finding expanders, people who expand your definition of something that you want. This was a huge step for me in becoming a writer more predominantly in my life and letting the law kind of fall away was when you start to follow someone and follow lots of people because people put out different content. But I started to follow authors and I was like, okay, at first it was like, oh, here's the glamour. Like there she is at her beautiful desk pounding away and here she is here's somebody else getting a book deal and getting you know all this money and and then but then you follow other people and they're like they do get a book but they don't get a lot of publicity so you start to see all of it you start to see the good you start to see the bad and then you're like can I deal with this and you have to be honest with yourself do you have the stomach for the good and the bad of you know whatever it is that you want to see someone rebuilding their life after divorce whatever it is you have to start to see it and see it in many different forms. You know, Glennon's one of those people, I'm sure for a lot of people, an expander. And even if you don't want to leave your husband for a woman the way she did, it's still imagine she's showing you a different way of a blended family and whatever. So you start following these things and it really, truly expands your mind. It's pretty mind-blowing. Yeah. Really is. Yeah. You can start to process all that. Yeah, I love that. I, and and that I, I totally do um what i think i hear when i talk to my friends or people struggling with things and when i try to push them the way you're suggesting like well what do you see like what do you really want i feel like people don't want to imagine the way glennon's talking about because they don't want to be disappointed if they don't get it or they don't want to think too big they think well I don't really deserve that that's just crazy like to your point like I'm Mm -hmm. not going to be a New York Times bestselling author I mean but Mm -hmm. maybe I would just like to like write a book or you know something like that you know or they don't Mm -hmm. really think that they should imagine such happiness because Mm -hmm. it's like they're just self-regulating you know they're managing Mm -hmm. their expectations which and and I I think that's really at odds with the imagining but I think that's realistic that's what a lot of people do I don't that I actually have don't have a problem uh, of Mm -hmm. the four keys I think I'm pretty good at the imagining Mm -hmm. the imagining to doing is is where I've admitted to the struggling but I don't have Mm -hmm. any problem imagining and I don't believe there's any limit to the happiness I should have or the life like that is definitely I am the eternal optimist like you, we've talked about that. So I don't have a problem with that, but I do think a lot for a lot of people, this part's hard because they already sort of start 
talking themselves out of it. And whereas I think, mm. you know, I'm a laws of attraction person too. So the imagining yes. part really speaks to me because yes. if you imagine the things you want, the, you know, your thoughts become your reality. I do believe yeah. in that. So this step yeah. really like resonates with me, but I think yeah. not everyone. I could see a lot of people being like, whatever. I can dream. Imagine I want a million dollars. Doesn't mean I'm going to get a million dollars. One usually begins imagining at the end, the end goal. But then you have to imagine backwards. You want a million dollars? Okay. How could you possibly get a million dollars? You might rob a bank. Probably not a great idea. You could change jobs and and work harder at work and and get promotions better idea it's going to take some time you could you know there are so many ways to quote unquote get what you want and people don't people say I want a million dollars I can't imagine a million dollars and it's going to show up one day and so therefore I don't want to do the work that's the you know that's where people get stuck is it does require a lot of work and by the way I'm kind of of the opinion that that person doesn't want what they say they want then because that's true too. If you really truly get through the feeling and you get through the knowing and the imagining, you're just like, I. well then that happens. You can say to yourself, I thought I wanted this and you know what? The things I would have to sacrifice, it's not worth it for me. I don't right, want it anymore. Right. But then you can stop being hung up on it, right? Then you can stop imagining that some other life would be better than your own. This is something I really loved that she said when she was talking about how she was talking to Liz Gilbert. I love. She this. was saying, yeah, she said she can't. She was going through again this conversation similar to the way we are having this conversation. She's talking about leaving Craig for Abby, and all the reasons she can't. And then Liz is kind of like letting her take the other side of it, let her argue it, and she says it will ruin Craig. Mm-hmm. And Liz Gilbert says there's no such thing Mm. as one-way liberation honey Mm. oh i love that so much because i screenshot that when i was reading it and sent that to a friend Mm. i was like oh my god although then i said maybe we could if we all had friends who wrote eat pray love that maybe we'd be getting this Mm. kind of insight but still i mean i have you so it's close there is no such thing as one-way liberation and i was thinking about this in every aspect because the thing is so many times we do these things internally, right? And I I do my feeling, I do my knowing, I do my imagining, and I think to myself, let's use a different example, the law. I wanted to be a lawyer since I was five years old. I applied to law school as a senior in college, as one does. I took the LSATs, I did the whole thing. And then I decided rather abruptly that I was going to take a year off. I didn't know why I felt like I really, really needed to do this. And because I didn't know why, but I knew it, when I told my family, they freaked out. They were not happy about it. Why are you doing this? What? Nothing good will come of this. You will get derailed. You will get distracted. You will never go back. I didn't think there was anything to lose by taking a year off. I knew that if I really wanted to go back, I would. And if I took a year off, it wouldn't really affect anything. And so I did. And that was it. And... I think I was still too young to know more. Maybe I would like law school. Maybe I would like practicing. Maybe it wasn't just a scared thing to do to feel secure in my life or to give me a false sense of security. So I went, I did, I took a year off and I went back and I did it. It was not, 
But my family, my point was, even when you imagine something and even when you know it and you feel it and you are 100% certain of it, sometimes people are not going to be happy about it. No. And my family Lots of times, was, probably. Yeah, sure. And my family was really not happy about it. But it wasn't for them to decide and it was my thing. And so I just knew I had to do it. And I convinced them the best I could, but then I... Let go of it. My oh, So my point was there's no one-way liberation. I think that was the first of many steps where I started to l- help my parents see another way for not only for me, but just in life. Like you can break free from something or defer it and come back to it. It doesn't mean it's lost forever. It doesn't mean it's gone forever. If you need to go out and explore and come back, my parents were sure that I would never, that I would yeah. never come back to it. That that's just not the way things went. Once you derailed, you would never get back on track. And if the person, if the track is really there and the track is really what the person wants, it you won't be derailed. You will come back. And I did. And I think an example as it is, when Jessica Simpson got divorced from Nick yeah. and how, now we know that Joe Simpson is a very complicated, not good situation, but he did say to her, and it was bad timing, but he said to her that her getting a divorce really helped him see that this is possible. You can actually do this and life goes on yeah. and life can actually, in fact, get better. So many times it's our family that we're really struggling to, that we don't want to disappoint. Sometimes we want to leave the job or the husband or the whatever. You don't want to disappoint them, but you, you're you like, oh, well, I also don't want to really be a part of it anymore. So don't care as much usually the thing that's really underneath it is the family whether it's your parents your kids whatever it is that you're really worried about disappointing but uh, there is no one way liberation and you are showing them something else Uh, yes i I think that this part is so good and it goes back to what she was saying earlier about trusting yourself that you're the only Mm -hmm. one who can decide this like your parents could have those views like they did but you were following your gut and you're right she says here to like liz gilbert like can you imagine the havoc this will wreak on my parents on my friends and my career and that's when she says what is better uncomfortable truth or comfortable lies Mm. every truth is a kindness even if it makes others uncomfortable and then this part where she says but i barely know her because it you know at that point right really yeah about abby she really didn't know her they'd never been in the same room together other than the room mm. the day they met mm. and i love her response she says but you do know yourself yes. and then she says what if i leave for her and this isn't even real and she mm-hmm. said she sat there quietly for a while and then she and then she said Listen. nothing right she just held her hand mm-hmm. and she said i she then said i am glennon glennon, yeah, glennon says i am real what I feel and want and know, that's all real. And that's when Liz says, yes, you are real. Right? So I, yeah, I love that. And it reminds me of our discussion during Little Fires where I was like, some people walk, leave one cage and walk directly into another cage. You don't do that when you're, when you're really, really trusting yourself. Mm -hmm. And there's usually a couple of steps in between one cage and the next. And the problem is people just run yep. blindly from one to the other instead of saying, no, the decision to leave this cage is my decision and I must do it. And and if somehow I get to that other cage and the door is closed, 
Uh, oh, wow. There's, yeah. Y- you can still trust that yourself. You knew it. You have to know that the if you made that decision to leave that cage, that's the right choice. Whatever else happens, maybe a different cage shows up that you didn't even see. Or maybe, maybe you get to be free rather than just walking from from one to the other. Mm -hmm. It's the same idea of the imagining. We always imagine the end. Like, I'm going to leave the law. This is me thinking. I'm going to leave the law and I'm going to be a New York Times bestselling author. Well, you know, who knows? But I knew I had to leave the law. There was no, whether I became a bestselling author or not, or whether I do, has nothing to do with knowing that that law firm life was not for me. And that will never be untrue. Right. Because it's the same thing. Glennon says, I am real. I am real. I knew that. Right. That was not right. for me. Right. And once she had those feelings, she couldn't unfeel them. She knew that already. Mm-hmm. So yeah. oh, I, yes. that, that yes. part is so good. I think a really interesting thing. And Glennon does a great job of seeing exp- yeah admitting it but she doesn't connect the two which I wanted her to do she had done lots of imagining hadn't she yes and her imagining of her story with Craig of her story of getting sober Mm -hmm. that all came from her imagination and then she worked backwards to make it true she did not do the work of feeling knowing and then imagining because if you imagine and work backwards to the feeling and the knowing you're you're just screwing yourself you are digging yourself so much deeper into this vision that you have and not questioning why i want this why it has to be this way yeah you're you're talking about when she reconciled with craig and wrote her prior book well i'm also talking about when she gets sober I did not know that what made her sober was her being pregnant. She got pregnant Mm -hmm. and then immediately got sober. I'm glad that that worked for her. But what happened was she imagined some other life. I know now why she walked into the cage of motherhood. Straight from bulimia into alcohol into motherhood. Cage, cage, cage. She walked from cage to cage because she did not allow herself to feel and she did not allow herself to know anything before she started imagining. Instead, she got that positive pregnancy test. She said, I'm going to be a mother. This is going to be wonderful. I'm going to throw everything I am. We're going to have this wonderful family. There's going to be more kids. And she imagined this whole life. And it was better than being an alcoholic. It was better than being on the floor and then teaching third graders. I understand that, but it wasn't some real knowing. It was her imagining something else, and she just walked right into that. And then, yeah, of course, like you like you were just saying, she also did it again when she talks about the manuscript for the second book. And she's like, here, I handed it to Craig, yeah. and I said, here, I have made sense of all of this yeah. pain. Yeah. She like wrote so, her own story. Like he said mm-hmm. he was unfaithful. And instead mm-hmm. of leaving, she just imagined how she, how they could fix that. And then it'd be a redemption story. And yeah, she, yeah, she just was like, and yeah. she's just like, I don't know if I, yeah. li- I do not know if I lived the next few years and then wrote about what happened or if I wrote yeah. the next few years and then made it all happen. But yeah. Right. So that, is that it, is where I need to put a huge disclaimer. You cannot imagine until you have felt and you have known. Do not do it because all you are doing is imagining yourself another thing that will become a cage yeah. again. So you're, you have yeah. to feel, you have to know, and then you start imagining. And so that leads me to another question I have is, do you think yes. she could have done this if she hadn't already met Abby? 
you know, a lot of people I think will say it's easy to have taken the chances that she took because she had maybe this backup, you know? Now, yeah, she didn't mm. know her that well, but she clearly, as we'll talk about, had an immediate attraction and connection to her and she felt like she was in love with her. Um, and that that, some could say, well, that's what finally gave her the courage to do these things because it's real hard to walk away from all these things and face, as she said, the parents and the, and the public perception, if you, to be by yourself to, which is scarier, right? Now she also tries to talk about that. No, it wasn't about Craig or Abby. It was about, Mm -hmm. I found this new version of myself and I wasn't going to abandon that. Like once I was this new version it was really that was my choice, not Craig versus Abby. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, part of me is like, I think when there's someone else, people can maybe are motivated maybe to be braver. I thought about this a lot, Kate. Okay, this is good. why I I think she did the order this way. Feel, know, imagine, burn it down. I am not this way. I am a feel, know, burn it down, imagine. Yeah. I don't recommend I don't recommend this. <laughs> the but here's the thing. The mo and we'll talk about more about that, but the most important part is the feel and the know. And I agree with her. She didn't write herself into that story. She had been doing the work of feeling and knowing for some time now. So that as soon as she saw Abby, she was like, Oh my God, is this something else? And like, can I imagine all of this? And that's the difference. If she was like, I'm not happy with Craig. I got to get out of this marriage. Oh, there's Abby. That seems like a good escape hatch. Right. Without the feeling and without the knowing, then I I do believe she had done that work first. And I don't think it matters that she was with Craig. Their their relationship was, was not good at that point. And I, I do think it helped her burn it down. Yeah. But... The most important thing is you can't imagine until you feel and know exactly what you need to be feeling and knowing. So that brings us to the fourth yeah. key, burning it down. It's my personal favorite. Mine being too. An Air- <laughs> it's being the fire Aries- sign. <laughs> yes. I was going to say being an Aries, a fire sign. And generally, I'm I'm just generally a hothead and a force of destruction. Burn it down is music to my ears. I often in my life had burned it down before I imagined what's next. And that is really hard. I don't recommend that you do that. Because the imagining gives you a shred of hope, something to look forward to when things get hard, which they inevitably absolutely will. But And can I just say, it is my favorite part, but not for that reason, because I am not a burn it down. Um, but I, mm. I, it was my favorite part because I think this is the hardest part and that this was mm. so interesting well, to me. This is the part most people probably cannot yeah. do. They do not want to like the match and throw the dynamite. I know you're, you're yeah. not like See, that. See, for me, as soon as I know something is not working, I cannot stay. I cannot deal with it anymore. And I should, I should, instead of burning it down, blowing it up, quitting, saying goodbye, saying I'm out, I'm done, it's over, whatever well, you want to call it. There's two parts for you. A, you, f- you realize more quickly than others that you can't mm. stand something and you can't stay. You, re- you see the cage faster. And then You're- most people, even if they finally see the cage, because most people are slower, they... Wait, can you... Wait, back up. I don't see the cage faster. I do a lot of work now for... 
I like 15, 16, 17, 18 years, I've been working on feeling and knowing. So right. I don't, I might see it faster 15, 16, 17 years later, but it's just the people that don't see it are not doing the work of the feeling and the knowing. Right. But go ahead. Right. So you yeah. are doing that. So you see it. Yes. And then even if someone is doing it, this is what I think, and then they don't want to do this yes. next part. And you're also quicker to do that. So it's like a double combo there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know? Well, I can't. I don't know. I said this to you. I yelled it. I hit the table and I had the whole restaurant looking at me when I was like, I don't know how to not do what I need to do. I don't know. As soon as I know that I am not happy in something, I cannot stay. I just can't. And truthfully, I think you should. And I know everybody else is on to something because you need to ease the transition. Yeah. You need to to be able to go from the knowing into the imagining and then slowly start to it's really this shouldn't as much as I love it it shouldn't be burn it down it should be dismantle it. Yes. It should be take it apart. Um because that's really what it is. And you do it piece by piece as you imagine you take another brick out and you imagine something else and you take another brick out and slowly you have moved your bricks from one pile to another pile and the house that was shaped like a you know rectangle is now a square and it is exactly what you want. And you've taken brick by brick, it's, bit by bit. Yeah, it's the Ingrid Michaelson so that song that we love from yes. Little Fires. Build it up, yeah. break it down. That is the better way to do it. I uh, don't often get that right because I don't know how to not do what I know I need to do. And, and usually... That is, I just can't be in the law or I just can't do whatever I'm doing. And then I stop it instead of imagining what's what comes next so that I can bridge that gap, which is important. And I think most people get paralyzed at this step. Yes. Completely yes, paralyzed. They s- absolutely. The endless cycle between the imagining and the, the lighting the match yeah. and burning it And down. you're right. Yeah. B- b- burning is harsh, but like I, you're right. B- break it down, dismantle, whatever. Mm-hmm. Sounds a little mm-hmm. less aggressive. Um, <laughs> I think the imagery, I like it, but I get what you're saying. But that's yeah. people get stuck in between. It is. And this, she says, destruction is essential to construction. But, absolutely. Oh, but you know, this is yeah. this is hard, and that's where she. I think she says on around seventy two or seventy three. There, once we mm-hmm. do the knowing and the feeling and imagining, you can't unfeel it or unknow it or unimagine it. And she says there is no going back. We're launched into the abyss, the space between the not true enough life we're living and the truer one that exists only inside us. So we say maybe it's safer to just stay here, even if it's not true enough. Maybe it's good enough. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this on on the Little Fires podcast too about a lot of people in their cage will go, but it's a nice cage. I mean, it's good enough. Yes. I mean, it's yes. fine. I mean, I have conversations with friends. I mean, even myself. It's like it's fine. I mean, it's yeah. not that bad. Or what would what would have to be so bad to make me mm-hmm. leave good yeah. enough? And unless it's right. you know my boss screams at me every day and might go to work fucking miserable or my husband is abusive or whatever the situation sure unless it's so bad if it's good enough you know they'll they'll get stuck in this abyss she's talking about this Mm -hmm. this paralyzed Mm -hmm. absolutely um yeah so i think that 
is very relatable because I mean, you know, she says we're yeah. only alive to the agree to which we're willing to be annihilated. Who's going to raise their hand and be like, I want to be annihilated. Me. I mean, I love it. Right. Love it. I get that. I love it. And I bet yes. the fucking payoff after the annihilation is amazing. Yeah. I bet it's amazing, yeah. but it's yeah. also pretty good way, over it here. It also doesn't stop. The cycle just continues. So she says it on 77. I am a human being meant to be in perpetual becoming. Yeah. I am, if I am living bravely, my entire life will become a million deaths mm-hmm. and rebirths. My goal is not to remain the same, but to live in such a way that each day, year, moment, relationship, conversation, and crisis is the material I use mm-hmm. to become a truer, more beautiful version of myself. The goal is to surrender mm. constantly who I just was in order to become who this next moment calls me to be. I will not hold on to a single existing idea, opinion, identity, story, or relationship that keeps me from emerging new. I cannot hold too tightly to any riverbank. I must let go of the shore in order to travel deeper and see farther again and again and then again until the final death and rebirth right up up until until then then. yeah now this is what i believe is the point of life yes so i I welcome this process i love it i happen to enjoy it it doesn't mean and again I, i think now people will hear me say the positive and it's hard it can be really hard and painful and certain parts of it will almost feel intolerable but this is life you can choose to to live it to its fullest or you can choose to live it to its good enough and I don't know I have so I have two things for you what you said Mm -hmm. about the people who can't like it's good enough I shouldn't imagine more first of all either it's a lack of imagination they can't see something bigger Mm. and that is something again ridiculous as it sounds social media is nice for to imagine like whose life do you look at and go who who does that who why who does that right watch that person because if that's your reaction it's like it's like glennon with abby on the couch if that's your reaction follow that person mm-hmm. watch them every day watch all their stories and and begin to understand who does that because mm-hmm. you'll see it's a it's a thing it's a type of person it's a way of being and it has good and it has bad but it will fill in your imagination if if you don't have a, a, an imagination built in social media is is good with that the second thing is I truly do believe that I know that you will, you, when you know, you know. The person who is saying my life is good enough and this is, I've done the analysis and I don't, this is not something I should do. I shouldn't leave the law, whatever it is, I shouldn't do it. Then that's that person's truth. I can't judge that person. It has to be the point where they think to themselves, I cannot live like this mm-hmm. anymore. You just got to get and to the point you're saying. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because unless they're there, then they're not ready to evolve. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. the breaking they point, they, or they know it intellectually, but they're just not ready in other ways. They're just, they haven't yeah. reached their breaking point. Yeah. Well, that brings me back to my other point, which is when you go to yourself, oh my God, I can't let go of this and this is going to be bad. The chaos, this will cause and what about craig you know what you go back to step one yeah feel it say to myself i cannot 
do it. I cannot leave Craig. I cannot leave my job. I can't say it. It's true. You're saying it and it's true. You cannot do it. Go to your closet and sit with that. Mm-hmm. That's your truth. Can you get up out of that closet and say, this is my truth for today? Then, then you know you're doing something right. If you can't come out of that closet and say, no, that's a lie. I'm lying to myself. Mm-hmm. I'm scared of other things. Then you go through the steps again. Write it down. N- know it. Imagine it. Write it down. Talk about it with someone else. Go. Th- you got to just keep going back to step one. Right. Go like when you say, I just can't do it. Then, okay, that's your truth. Go in your closet with your truth and say, I cannot leave my marriage or whatever it is. So, and then feel go through that whole process. If that is your true knowing, it will be clear. It will go, that sucks. I really kind of wanted this other thing. But you know what else? You'll be able to let go of a dream you don't really have. Right. Right. So that's the process. You just got to keep going through it and go back to step one. Yeah, that is, it all goes back to the steps. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that Another factor that she talks about, at least specifically for her, but I I hear this from from people too, which is this, but I'm a mother. And if Mm -hmm. it is in this particular instance uh, about leaving a relationship that Mm -hmm. in which there are children involved, I mean, she talks a lot about motherhood as martyrdom and that she had... By the way, it could also be leaving a job because so many people say, "I I can't leave my job, my kids... You know, they they won't be comfortable. Yes. Or they won't have, you know. I think they think so, this of le- leaving like a marriage would hurt them emotionally more. But yeah, financially, mm-hmm. if it, it certainly could um, if it yeah, was leaving a job. Because a lot of people build, uh, I know a lot of people build their lives so that their kids are comfortable. Yes. And that means, yes, I mean, it's having both parents under one roof but it also means like having a secure roof yes and living in the town you want to live in and all that stuff so I know lots of those people I know and I also think you're right she even just means this more broadly like that generally a lot of mothers believe they should sacrifice themselves just in the name Uh of motherhood like I shouldn't pursue this passion or I shouldn't Uh. do this other thing because it might take time away from them so you're right it doesn't even have to be as big as literally no you know leaving breaking up the family yes yes um but you know she says on 127 good mothers don't break their children's hearts in order to follow Mm -hmm. their own and Mm -hmm. i do think again keeping it more general that you and i've talked about this that there are a lot of women friends of mine who even have said to me about doing this podcast like oh yeah no no that's that's nice but like yeah I mean I wouldn't want to take the time away from my kids it's like oh oh Mm -hmm. okay you just insulted me um (laughs) right but it's and that's fine and it's always the Mm -hmm. undercurrent of I'm supposed to be sacrificing everything and a hundred percent selfless and doing everything for them and her point is yet no Mm -hmm. what the best thing you can do for them is to be true to yourself and to show them mm-hmm. a, that, right? That's what's mm-hmm. going to be the role model you want. Not that I am a martyr and, you know, look mm-hmm. at me. I've done everything for them. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's not the way to be. But I do think that, I don't know, I get that a lot. And again, this is just short of even a, a woman leaving her right. marriage. I mean, that, that people right. are horrified right. by. I mean, forget yes, that. Yes. Like, But yeah, it can even yeah. be on a smaller scale. Absolutely. It brings me back to Liz Gilbert. There is no one-way liberation. Yeah. And if you are liberated 
your will your kids have to adjust to I mean she talks about it the adjust to to households you know yeah they are they're gonna have to deal with all of that mm-hmm. but is that the worst thing is it she says it when and she's told the story so many times so I really hate going back to it but when she's braiding her daughter's hair and she thinks I'm staying in this marriage for my daughter but would I want my daughter to have this marriage Mm -hmm. no so so what am I doing like what am I showing her exactly exactly that quote there's no greater burden on a child than the unlived life of a parent Mm. show them Mm. how to live their best life that's that's what you should be doing for them whatever that means for you I mean which is different for everyone I, I think a lot of people need to hear that. Yeah. That motherhood is not martyrdom and you don't have to you you really underestimate the value of being happy, being free, showing your kids a different way of having a career, having a family, whatever it is. If this is truly not working for you, now listen, sometimes I get annoyed when people get divorced because I think to myself, you did not do the feeling. You did not do the knowing. Yeah. You just blame your husband for all the shit that you've got pent up and so you're leaving him i don't i don't generally love that but when i know someone has done the feeling has done the knowing and that that relationship was not growing was making them feel suffocated and stagnant and that that was holding them back then i'm a hundred then i'm like whatever you build next that new family form will be so much more rewarding to your kids who will know when a marriage is suffocating, those children are are in that same house and there's the same lack of oxygen for all of them. And they will feel, they will grow up with a scarcity mindset that will never let them grow past it. Yeah. So I think that's worse. Yeah. But you have to go through the whole process, right? Yeah. And she did that. And that's why I do think when Abby did show up, she was yes. ready, as you said, because she had done all mm-hmm. the steps. Yes. And I, that thank you. That brings me perfectly yes. into my... Last quote when yes or no when she says people say to Abby to her that they're lucky they found each other and she replies it's true we are terribly lucky it's also true that we imagined this life before it existed Mm -hmm. and then we gave up everything for the one in a million chance that we might be Mm -hmm. able to build it together Mm -hmm. we did not fall into this world we have now we made it and I'll tell you this the braver I am, mm. the luckier I get. Mm-hmm. I loved that. Oh, yeah. So good. If that's not impetus, I don't know what it is. Right? And Abby appeared. There she is. How many times have we heard her say that in mm-hmm. interviews? And I mean, I'm sure everyone has has yes. heard, you know, them talk about the first time they saw each other and the there she is and and that moment Mm -hmm. and and which is a great story we're just we're only not repeating it because we think everyone's already heard it but it is it's a great story it's such a good story and yeah she talks in here uh, you know about desire which I thought was really interesting because if you do know which I'm sure most people do her backstory with with her husband that one of the struggles they had was she just felt like you know, they were really great co-parents, which they still are apparently and seemingly, uh, but that 
they were just sort of missing on the intimacy level and that mm-hmm. sex was always sort of a struggle for her. And she said, this was not in the book, but this was other things I've read, you know, that they would do these date nights and date nights are supposed to be uh, about, you know, talking and being intimate and lots of making out. And she's like, and we couldn't do any of those things. That just wasn't our thing. And that she got the memo in life, but also in her marriage that desire sort of meant like being wanted, like she could wear the right thing or do be like, you know, get the lingerie or whatever. And she knew how to stand in the right way, but she didn't know ever how to want, how to desire. She sort of knew how to be desired um, Mm -hmm. until she met Abby. Which has to be a a huge theme amongst women everywhere of all ages. Just we are generally taught to be the object of desire. And that comes with the male gaze. When you're looking out from the male's point of view, then of course, what you're seeing is little cues on how to be desired, how to be that object of that desire, instead of knowing what your own desire is and, and looking at it from that point of view. God, so, yeah. And that, yeah, and then when she found it, I mean, she said, the longer we've been together, the more naked and unafraid I've become. I don't act anymore. I just want. Mm-hmm. Oh, and you can, so you know, you can see it. I mean, I follow their stories and things and they're, they're, they're adorable, but also like this, hearing this, I'm like, oh, I could see that. I mean, now yeah. she <laughs> understands though what it means to desire. And I thought that was, that was amazing. I've been following her since the monastery days and I, I, I did kind of hate watch her sometimes. Like I was like, oh, she's, this is, you know, this is not working for me. I think what I thought was there was some truth to what she was saying and I grabbed onto that. But then I was also like, there's a lot, also a lot of fakeness around this, a lot of acting around this. And I don't feel that way anymore about her. Now it's all truth to me, which is really exciting to see this late development but also I think it's just she's just it's got to be feel really good to her yeah obviously yeah Yeah. clearly so my last thing about Abby was this is on page 299 and Abby's kind of saying to her like this isn't always going to be this way it's very early in the relationship it's gonna it's gonna get it's not gonna always be this love drugged kind of thing and Abby says to her and says, I'm afraid for when this beginning part ends for you. Mm. What do you mean? Glennon says, you've never fallen in love. So you've never been in this part before. I have. It changes. I want the change. I want the next part. I've never had that part before. The first part isn't the realest part. Mm. The next part, when we stop falling together and land side by side, that's the real part. It's coming. I want it, but I'm afraid that when it comes, when we land, you'll be disappointed and you'll panic. Mm -hmm. Glennon says, I feel like you're saying that we're under some kind of spell and soon it will wear off and we will love each other less than this. (laughs) And this line, Abby, what I'm saying is that soon the spell will wear off and we're going to need to love each other more Mm -hmm. than this. Mm -hmm. Oh, I loved that. And I find that just to be so, so true. incredibly true mm. yes yeah by the way it's also reflective of the bigger thing the imagining part is wonderful it's all the fantasy it's great and then you burn it down and the imagination come it takes a blow it takes a hit yeah it goes from imagination to real 
And hopefully you've done the feeling and the knowing and this is actually what you want. So it will simply be an adjustment from imagination, fantasy to real. But if it's not, you're in for a world of hurt after you've just burned it down. <laughs> and right. that's not that's not great. Right. And she says, I have decided that I want to be in love, not lost in it. I'd rather mm. exist than disappear. Because, you know, I think that's what Abby was warning yes. against. You're getting all sucked up into this initial buzz and that's great but you know our colors are mixing and you're all lost in it Mm -hmm, but you know you've got to be in it not lost in it and existing in it and not disappearing in it and that was Mm -hmm. that was really really good very wise on abby's part so usually i feel like we hear the the wisdom coming from glennon so yeah i think abby is very wise i do sure yeah sure no i don't mean that she wasn't but she's not glennon's job right exactly she is exactly this is what she does for a living she did say in a podcast the other day she's like it's just so hard everyone loves abby abby's Mm. everyone's favorite (laughs) oh that's so funny (laughs) so abby we definitely agree abby was a highlight of this book in the pieces that were not the really instructive part of it abby all of the the bits about abby were just complete highlights for us yeah but that also brings us to with the highlight comes the low light we were talking about this in a different way kate and you and i were talking about a story we were trying to develop and i said how well that story only makes sense told in hindsight because you have to believe the the reader, the audience, they have to believe that it turns out the right way. Oh. And so she, I, this book is about becoming untamed, but she told it from a place that the story was tamed. Mm-hmm. And that is something I, I definitely struggle with. She gave an early copy again to Liz Gilbert and Liz was like, you can't write this book super structured you have to write it very messy and that's how she got the idea to write these very short essays and these little blips here and there with just very loose connectivity and I think that works but I don't know it still had a very sanitized feel to me like where is the actual mess like where is I guess you don't write a book from the place of this is me. I'm a I'm a like page one. I'm about to tell Craig I want a divorce and right. I'm about to go meet Abby because I got to imagine that scene with Abby and Glennon in the hotel room is magical. Wonderful. I loved reading it. But there had to have been just as many hotel meetings there where one of them stormed out or oh, well, one well, this cried. was apparently and, their only meeting. No, no, no. Afterwards in the time so that's the beginning of the imagining but then right. there's the burning it down and like what did we do and why did we do this oh. and none of this is like worth we it. only get the the when they meet and then the night the first night they're together meaning yeah yeah we and you're saying there's lots of other nights yes yeah, yeah. where where this relationship looked like it was imploding yeah i guarantee they've had moments and they're not just about and this is another one of my issues she is kind of willing to talk about the the fights or the disagreements but it's always positioned like with toothpaste now i don't know if that's more palatable to everyone and everyone's really getting the deeper point is they fight they have disagreements this isn't bliss being untamed is not being is not living in bliss there are hard days there are bad days there are good days there are days when even when you know this is exactly what you need to be doing you think i can't get up today 
Like, I can't do this today. Right, right. There, even the story you, about Abby relaxing on the couch, she was getting mad at her. Even that's not yeah. a, that's not a huge right. fight. Like you but. said, oh, my, my, you know, is productivity such a bad thing? Or it's the quintessential answer to the interview. What's your weakness? Oh, my weakness is I work too yeah, hard. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, yeah, yeah. yeah it does feel... Or and, and she's got another one, the the braids. When she talks about yeah. Craig's new girlfriend and how oh, she doesn't like her, yeah, and, yeah, how, and how she, she raced like her, her in that race. I actually thought that was kind yes. of funny. <laughs> I would so yeah, do that. I did too. <laughs> I I I appreciated it. I liked it, but it was very like that's all. That's all we're getting. Like that she did some. It was almost farcical, like a scene from a movie, right? That the race and it always turns like, into is, a good lesson. Like you said, she was turns it like. No. Like in the interview. And even you yeah. get a little bits about her kids and their struggle, but but now it's fine because they found sports and yes, they've channeled that. Exactly. It's always told from the sort of the happy endings here. So let me I can tell you about some of the bad stuff because it all worked out. Yes. Yeah. And I don't love that. Now uh, for a memoir, I, I I think you have to have an end. So yeah. I guess that you it can't, can't be I'm still a mess. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. But I just, I wish it was. I kind of wish. I want the story of these were all, I guess no one, I'm the outlier once again. Like no one would read that story or it would make people feel depressed and and horrible. Like they would never be brave if they realized all of the horrible pain and bad days. But I don't know. To me, this is just very sanitized. But like, what if it was and, told chronological, like to your point? Like what if we wa- wa- went with her on the journey? And then at the end, it's still sort of this I happy ending. That. Right? That would right. solve it, right? And so... I mean, to me, that's that's wild, right? Or... Yeah. The the book by yeah, Cheryl yeah. Strayed, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's... You have to find the woman at her place of falling apart and then she can... But but show all of that falling apart. Don't just be like, yeah, this was this was kind of bad. And I was mean, and I said I was mad at her for braiding my daughter's hair when I don't know how to braid her daughter's hair. I mean, where's the moment where she was like, "Bitch, don't ever exactly touch my daughter's hair again." Now I, I don't know if she did that or not, but there has to be that has the equivalent of that moment. Why isn't that in here? Yeah, why isn't that? And in? I still don't really see the messiness. I don't see the the bad stuff much and i don't know i think that's kind of important I yeah really do. no I, it's always I so. m- metaphorical um, yeah or bad stuff or there's just a snippet of it and then yeah. it's quickly resolved if you will or or right yeah, no. or it's about something like toothpaste or braids or things that don't feel horrible to say or to experience yeah. like I don't it's fine if me and my husband disagree about the toothpaste which by the way I am Glennon on that and I leave all the cabinets open oh my husband stop drives oh totally yeah no totally totally so you know but it's like okay that those are the cute things where are the deeper issues there behind that or like, where's them packing that just once even that fifth her with her body image and the reason other reason yeah. i was so surprised by that part is i just where is it i, I kind of thought her her body image issues were like fine now i wouldn't have thought not fine sure. but i mean sure i didn't know that was occupying that 50 percent still... of her thoughts exactly i'm like holy no, that shit was... like that's yeah that's still a real issue then yes. you know i don't know yes yeah and it you have to kind of really think about it and stop and say wow 50 percent. that's like kind of a big deal right. but it's like a paragraph it's a paragraph of 
utter truth, but then kind of glossed over. Right, right. So I don't and know. And now you're um, right, though, just the general point that people will accept this story more now and tolerate mm-hmm. it more, if you will, because it has this nice ending. Her and Abby are happy. The kids seem happy. And she's always doing things with her ex and... Everybody seems yeah. fine. They play on the same soccer team together, <laughs> Abby and her ex, and yeah. everyone's just one big happy Brady Bunch yes. story. Which, which I'm sure there's moments of that. I don't. I yeah. I completely believe it. I just want more a more complete story. Mm. But it really makes me wonder whether the untamed woman is mm. tolerable. Mm. Right? And she writes it at, on page two eighty five. This is a pretty good admission. She admits that she's looking at some 12-year-old girl and she's pissed off at how confident she is. I like that. Yeah. And she says, I sat with my feelings and I realized the knee-jerk reaction I'm having to this girl is a direct result of my training. I have been conditioned to mistrust and dislike strong, confident, happy girls and women. We all have. She says, we become people who say of confident women, I don't know. I can't explain it. It's just something about her. I just don't like her. I can't put my finger on why. I can put my finger on why. It's because our training is kicking in through our subconscious. Strong, happy, confident girls and women are breaking our culture's implicit rule that girls should be self-doubting, reserved, timid, and apologetic. Girls who are bold enough to break these rules irk us. Their brazen defiance and refusal to follow directions make us want to put them back in their cage. Mm. So I guess my question is, Kate, is this book enough? You ask that question, is there truly tolerance for untamed women? My immediate answer is no. Yeah. I Sadly. I think that's why I'm like, I love that everyone loves this book and it's number one on the New York Times bestseller list for so many weeks. But you know what? I, I don't know. I Listen, I hope. I hope. If everybody became untamed, if all women became untamed, I I think, I think even other women can't tolerate. The reason I had a hard time with it, the first time I read this book, I was like, okay, Glennon, I've been this way my whole life. And you know what? I have no friends. Thank you. No one likes me. So I was was like, you cannot tell people to be this way because A, they won't and B, they won't like it if they do. So, but then... As I read it again for this podcast, I realized a couple things. First of all, I think it's aspirational and that's enough. She is putting the seed of imagination in all of our heads and it may not get there anytime soon, but it is an important part. The second point is what you and I are doing. I think asking women to be more complicated like we do on this show is the way to bridge the gap. Yeah. I cannot tell you how often I think of that quote that you found by Leslie Headland where she was saying that male studio executives and even audiences weren't getting some of her characters. Mm -hmm. And it was because, now I've adapted her premise to explain the reason why people need us, but we as a society, we lack the training to tolerate complicated women. We have trouble tolerating them because we don't understand them. We don't know them intimately. We hold them at arm's length out of fear that their complicated nature is A, either contagious and will make their life too difficult, Or maybe we hold them at arm's length because we think it will keep us safe, that it won't ignite the feelings that we have rumbling right beneath the surface. And Kate, I think that's the work we do here. We discuss different types of women, different damage, different struggles, different backgrounds, different attitudes about it all, different stages of their growth, and we dig into them without fear. Now, we do bring our judgments 
I say who I like and who I don't like and yeah. what because we are human but we also bring our curiosity we bring our intelligence and we bring our empathy and you and I we each bring a different point of view yes and so we're trying to remedy we, the lack of understanding exactly in our own small way Yes, and it, whatever your issues are, whatever you need to break free of, because that's what we want. And free from judgment, from preconceived notions, the shoulds and the supposed tos, free from the constraints of society, our families, men, other women, mm-hmm. even and maybe especially free from our own beliefs that ca- keep us caged and small, right? Mm, yeah. So I, yeah, so I think we're bridging that gap. Her book might be too much to ask. And by taking a step back and saying, look at these fictional characters that we're talking about Mm -hmm. and let's unpack them and let's look at them. And are they doing it? How how funny it was that I thought Fleabag season two was irredeemable and everyone was so in love with her. And so we unpack all of these preconceived notions that we bring to the table and, and the women creators behind the scenes because yes. that's what they're doing too. Yes, yes. And so it kind of lets it 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 puts a step between you, the the listener and the doer. You don't have to do it. You don't have to be fleabag, just as Phoebe Waller Bridge had said. She didn't want to become fleabag, so she wrote her. And then we talk about them so maybe other people can understand them a little bit better. And then yes. by understanding them, we aren't as afraid. We aren't as judgmental. We're willing to just let people live and do whatever they need to do. And we can also be free for ourselves. Love that. Yeah, me too. It's, a, it's our job here, Kate. Yeah, this is a big job, but we can handle it. Yes, yes, to- totally. Can I get off the couch now? Was I too bad or no? I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it was great. <laughs> Millions of people are right there with you. Yeah, the and couch so- is crowded. Yeah, (laughs) this is obviously something that needs to be questioned and challenged and also just talked about. Just having it being in our national dialogue is so important. I actually regret that I didn't want to do this book. I'm very glad that we are because I think it's really important. Definitely. All right, Kate, that'll be $500. Yeah, perfect. (laughs) (laughs) check is in the mail yeah oh it's coming okay this has been pop fiction women with corinne and kate if you enjoyed this show please tell the complicated women in your life and the men who love them yes tell them to listen and then to follow on spotify or review and subscribe on apple podcasts and of course share on social media tag us with your favorite books TV shows and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at Pop Fiction Women or on Twitter at Pop underscore women. For more coverage of the women you love or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.